0: This episode of Safe Space Radio is brought to you by the Pink House Foundation and listeners like you.
1: This is WMPG. My name is Ann Hallward, and I'm a psychiatrist in Portland, Maine. And this is Safe Space Radio, a show about the subjects we would struggle with less if we could talk about them more. Today, we continue our series on depression in the workplace. Depression is the number one cause of disability in the United States and the world, affecting close to 15 million workers in this country but it can still feel like a very risky subject to bring up and continues to be associated with a lot of stigma. My guest today is LJ. He's 51 years old and has a background in information technology. He was diagnosed with depression in 1992 and anxiety in 2006 and has had several inpatient hospitalizations and treatments in outpatient programs. He now works in a clerical position on a psychiatric unit at a hospital. Welcome to Safe Space Radio, LJ.
0: Thank you, I'm glad to be here.
1: So I understand you were diagnosed with depression when you were about 28 years old. Yes. And what were you doing at the time? Tell me what was going on when you were diagnosed with depression.
0: At that point, I, uh, I had joined the service. I had just come home from the service. I broke my ankle, uh, so I wasn't able to stay, and that had been a lifelong dream. Had to go back to a job I did not like. At that point as well, my grandfather had passed. I was very, very close to him. I miss him to this day. And um, it turned out that my uncle had stolen money from my grandfather, so there was not enough money to bury him, which was another reason why I had to come home early from the Marines. And uh, I broke up in a relationship, so it was boom, boom, boom. Many things right in a row. And I just crumbled.
1: It does sound overwhelming. So you lose your relationship. You lose someone you loved. You find out that an uncle had behaved really, really badly. Money is extremely tight. You lose this dream job, and you're stuck in a job that you can't stand all at the same time. Exactly. So when you say you crumbled, what actually happened?
0: I started showing at the time um, the classic signs of depression, not caring, I'd come home from, from work, and, and uh, I was living at home at the time, and basically saw my mother briefly, and I'd just go right to bed, five thirty, six o'clock at night. And I do remember, uh, I went to see this doctor, and I talked to him, and he said, you have depression. And at that moment, while I had the depression, it was like an awakening. I knew and I, I had a name for this thing. And uh, he put me on some amitriptyline, but, you know, without a counselor, because at the point I didn't have any health insurance in the job that I had. You know, I had to wing it, and I winged it for a long time. Uh, it was, there were days that were just very overwhelming. Uh, you did not want to get out of bed, and it was all you could do to put one foot in front of the other.
1: What was it about having a name for it when he called it depression? What was it about that that made it easier to deal with somehow?
0: I treated depression as some people would treat it cancer. It was my enemy. And I had to know my enemy to be able to overcome it. And I was like, okay, I know what you are. I can identify you now. And as I slowly got better, I could slowly make a plan of attack. It wasn't until much later when I went through an IOP program.
1: An intensive outpatient program. Yes,
0: that they talked about uh, different tools in your quote-unquote toolkit that you could use, and that helped. I use them to this day.
1: What did you learn? What did they teach you?
0: One of the the best uh, was visualization.
1: What kind of thing would you visualize?
0: When I was young, uh, my parents had a camp, and I would have a canoe and a rowboat, and I would be out. And I pictured myself in the canoe, my dog used to come and she was my ballast. She would lay up in the front with her head up over the gunnel and we would just paddle around and I can literally close my eyes and put myself right there, hear the loons if they were out and about, see the geese, hear the fish jump, See, you know, literally see the fish jump. Uh, just so peaceful. And another one that I do is, is similar. Uh, it's uh, not a place I've ever been before, but it's just like a little glen outside of a forest. And um, I pretty much know every little rock and blade of grass outside. On that, I'll put myself there and I'll lean back and listen to the birds and whatever just might be around.
1: So that isn't a place you've actually been, but it's a place you imagined.
0: It's a place I created.
1: Uh huh. You know. And you created it to do what for you? What does it give you?
0: It gives me basically hope and peace. Cause sometime I'd, in my life, I would like to buy a piece of land where I can do just that have my own several acres where I could just walk out and just mellow out.
1: So you were taught to use these visualizations as a way to help yourself when you were feeling desperate, or like what, what is that an antidote to?
0: It's to do it when you're desperate, but there's a caveat with it. You have to do it when things are right. When I started doing it, when I was feeling great, I was A-OK, I was me. That's how that little forest glen got built and created. When I'm at my worst with the depression, I have no physical energy. I have no mental energy. But all I have to do is open the door in my mind now, and I'm there.
1: In a way, it sounds like you, by doing it first when you're well, the association you have to it is really strong, and you associate all the feeling of energy and wellness with Mm it. Uh, So you're saying if you tried to start that when you're really down, it's just not going to take... Not at all. It's so hard because people don't generally start even being motivated to learn these things when they're well. You know, they wait exactly. till they really need it.
0: Exactly. Uh-huh.
1: Were there other things that they taught you?
0: Well, I use prayer. To me, prayer is it's a personal thing, but it's no different than the people who don't believe in a higher power meditating. Because what are you doing? You know, when you pray, you, if you're doing it, in the ways that I had learned, um, you're basically you're giving thanks for things. You know, thank you for the home, thank you for the roof roofer head, thank you for the meal. Um, give thanks for the, all your difficulties and problems. The first time somebody ever told me that, it was like, what are you, nuts? What are you talking about? <laughs> I, I was like, but sure enough, he was right, because once I was able to do that, things got a little bit better.
1: It's so counterintuitive, because I'm imagining that when you're really depressed, you're not feeling very grateful.
0: You're not. I am divorced. And at the, and I had gone away from church at the time or just before and had wanted with my ex-wife to get back into church. Looked in the phone book, okay, I'm going to try this one. So I got in my car with a dog, drove over. And as soon as I got to this campus, this beautiful campus, I just got this peaceful, easy feeling, not to quote the Eagles, but, you know, it just was like, this is where you need to be. I got a lot of help when I was down. Um, I have been through eight layoffs in a seven year period. One of those came a week after my wife and I split up totally out of the blue.
1: So let's talk about work and depression. Let's go. So (laughs) eight layoffs in a seven year period. Do you see each one of those layoffs as being related to your depression?
0: Yes and no. Um, they weren't my fault because uh, each time the company had either been bought out and it was my position that was being eliminated, I was never fired. And finally, it was like, why? I'm so tired of this. Why? My belief at the time was really, and this is part of the religion in me, is that if God will talk to you in little ways, and if you don't listen, he's going to smack you right between the eyes with a two by four. And I was getting smacked right between the eyes with the two-by-four.
1: And what was the communication?
0: That even though I was really good in the field that I that I did, and it paid a lot of money, I wasn't happy with what I was doing, and I needed to find happiness.
1: And so did you start giving yourself permission to even think about what that might be?
0: I didn't really have a clue at the time, but I fell into it. Uh, in 2008, uh, in the the big layoff year, I... Was working for a telemarketing company in South Portland, and again my position was was eliminated, and I lost my insurance. Um, uh, I'm a diabetic. I have certain health needs. I have to buy insulin. I have to buy uh, test strips. They're not cheap. And when my savings was gone, you know, I was scrambling. The depression came on full force, and I had called my family. I said, I'm going to be checking in to an adult psychiatric ward just to let you know where I am. And this is where I need to be. And this is I cannot cope right now. And I just knew that I was not safe. And that scared me. I had a plan, same plan I always have had. And I did not want to act out on that plan. And I was just so scared that another blow was going to come that I would not be able to make th- make it through it. Um, so I wound up saying, if I'm going to survive, that's where I need to be.
1: When you say a plan, I'm assuming you mean a plan to end your life. Yes. So when you felt like you were not safe, it sounds like you really didn't know whether you would be alive if you Pretty didn't much. go in the hospital.
0: You know, and it was not the first time I had felt that way.
1: I wondered if you would walk me through what it's like to get admitted to a psychiatric hospital. What actually happens?
0: Well, in my case, usually when I'm at that point, I'm out of it. Uh, I usually can barely talk. It's depressing just to be depressed like that. Um, I have three college degrees and I can only babble. My brain is Swiss cheese. I know one of my indicators is if I'm watching TV, I don't understand what I'm watching, even if it's something simple. If I'm reading a book, I have to read the same sentence over and over and over, and I'm not retaining it. Those are the flags, beginning flags. But to get back to your question, I'll go into the hospital and you wait your turn, and it's, even if it's only a couple minutes, it's agonizing, waiting. Then to have to get up and tell somebody who you don't know that I'm not well I need help mentally but I've learned all you really have to say to them is I'm not safe or I need to see somebody in crisis meaning the crisis unit uh, that's all that needs to be said eventually a nurse practitioner will come over and talk to you and then it seems if they're going to admit you it takes forever and a day and it, I don't know why that is. That's a behind-the-scenes thing. I'm sure there's something there. Maybe they're waiting for a bed, and that bed that they're vacating is going to be your new home. And you go in, and you sleep. They usually leave you alone for a day or two, Um, but you are expected to go to groups and things like that. And I found the groups help. Um, One of the admissions that I had, I got up there probably late morning, and I asked the nurse, I said, are there any groups this afternoon? And she says, yes, there's one at like 2.30 or 3 o'clock. And I said, will you come and get me and and take me there? I, And she looked at me like I had two heads. She goes, you just got here. Don't you want to lay down? I said, I would prefer to lay down and stay in bed. But the only way I'm going to get well is to start going to the groups.
1: You are very determined.
0: Oh, yeah. It's like anything. It's, it's like, as I mentioned earlier, you know, know thy enemy. And how am I going to conquer it? Sometimes it hits you pretty dang quick. And usually you can say, okay, like I mentioned the red flags, and you can start preparing. Okay. But sometimes it just comes out of nowhere. And it hits you like a ton of bricks that's happened once or twice. One of the things that I've done is um, I, see, I do see a counselor, And I've made sure that when I've gone to see counselors, that I've always started going when everything was fine. I've told them, you need to benchmark me when things aren't fine. You need to know, know, where am I normally? Because otherwise, how can you help me? It's like, you know, and I've used the EAP program through work.
1: The Employee Assistance Program.
0: Right. And it's a great thing. But in one of the places where I've worked, they cut the amount of visits down to three. Right. Well... You go see somebody; they're just starting to get scratched the surface of you. on that third visit.
1: You know, you in some ways you're sort of turning it on its head in a way, because I'm really, I'm really learning from you that the importance of doing things when you're well. And it sounds like you've, you've really accepted that this is a kind of a chronic illness that comes and goes, and mm-hmm. so you expect it that it may come again, and you're laying Depression groundwork.
0: Depression and anxiety is no different than having uh, any other major illness. I mean, look, if some folks, you know, forgive me, if, if somebody thinks I'm being tri- trivializing this, but if you have cancer, you know, you go and you go through, but can it come back? Yes. So, you know, by doing these things, you know, t- finding a counselor, you know, and going there when you're well, when you don't need one, you know, and practicing the visualization and doing other, other coping skills when you're well. Again, hopefully not to trivialize it, but it's like taking your vitamins, taking your medications on time.
1: And have you had the experience that when you then later got depressed again, that those things made a difference in terms of either being depressed for a shorter period of time or for a le- less severely?
0: Shorter period of time. And, and it was um, being able to analyze it more. Um, what does that mean? Well, being able to analyze it, like I mentioned, the red flags and things, saying because the first time I went down, I was going down a, a rocky slope. I, I'd never been down this road before. What is it? Well, now I've been down, down that road a few times, so I know where some of the handholds are. And it usually is shorter um, for most cases. Um, there was one case when it wasn't. I was working in a place I had um, got transferred to a doctor's office. There was one woman there who was literally miserable. And I got a joy of sitting in a 10 by 10 square foot room with her with no windows, doing nothing but answering phones. And when you would walk in in the morning, any of the employees they would usually ask the people that were already there, "How you know what's the weather like today?" And if you got sunny, slight chance of cloud, stormy, windy, well, it didn't meant the weather; it meant her disposition. Oh, because she could fly off a handle at any minute, fly off at a patient any minute, and it just got so bad. And it got so I remember one morning. I saw the manager and I was like, I need to talk to you about something. Okay, you know, we'll talk tomorrow. Tomorrow never came. I wound up, something had happened. I I don't remember now exactly what it was, but I wound up taking myself to the ER. Um, And I had been experiencing a lot of anxiety at the same time. I was having this period where I wasn't sleeping I would go to bed, my usual bedtime, tired, just like you would be, a normal person would be, and within one hour exactly, I would be awake with racing thoughts. And I remember going to the doctor and saying, please help me. I was begging, please. I'm not asking for drugs. You know, I'm not asking for, you know, anything that's narcotic or anything like that. But please help me well, we'll come back in a week and we'll talk about it. Basically, that was what I got. And that night, and I just still don't remember what that lady had said to me, but it was something pretty bad.
1: The lady in the small cubicle at work? The,
0: yep. That the next morning, I went to the ER and I said, I'm, going, I'm at the ER, I will not be in today, and I probably won't be in tomorrow. And I wound up going to... It's like going inpatient, but you're in a residential setting, but it was wonderful. You know, you just go, there's nobody there making you do things. Um, you we'll do have a
1: crisis stabilization unit, maybe. Uh, that, yeah, it's that residential, be... but it's not locked.
0: Exactly. It's voluntary. Yep. Yep. And, uh, but I remember, again, it was getting their arrival to that it was similar to going to inpatient for the first time. It's scary. But you met with different people there. They had staff that would work with you, do things, and so forth. And I'd been in and out there two or three times.
1: So, you know, when we were first talking about this series, and we were talking about doing a series of interviews about depression in the workplace, initially I was envisioning it like the ways in which having depression affects you as a worker, you know, and how challenging it is to be struggling with depression. And do you tell people? Do you hide it? And and what is that like? In talking to you, I feel like you've brought up two other parts of it. One is the ways in which losing a job for no fault of your own can be a trigger for depression and all the sense of loss, but also financial stress that that involves. And also another aspect that you've touched on is the ways in which working conditions that are intolerable can be a trigger for
0: depression. Very much so.
1: You said it earlier. You said that you felt like maybe you kept losing all those jobs because the industries were closing. Maybe this was God's way of sort of slapping you up with the two before to get a message to you about you were in the wrong field and really wanting to find out what was right for you. Do you feel where are you at with that discovery? Do you think?
0: I'm still discovering, I'm trying to find my niche. Um, my salary that I make today is the salary that I made in 1997. Money certainly isn't everything, but it does help you with a lot of issues. I mean, I do have difficulty now affording groceries and medication, so, you know, I do need to be upwardly mobile, but I have three degrees, each one in business, including an MBA. Um, so there's, I have a lot of talent that I can offer and that I can bring to the table.
1: How do you feel that depression has affected the development of your career and and has, yeah, how is that for you?
0: It's adversely affected it because um, it's very difficult. Um, back when I was working in telecommunications, you had to be exceptionally organized. And when your mind is, and I use this phrase a lot, Swiss cheesed, because I just can't, I don't want to say it's not that you can't think straight. It's almost like you can't think. You cannot concentrate. Um, what might be a simple solution isn't I mean one of the things when I was a little boy growing up um, and this is in the days before they had the automatic cash register you know the uh, the bill would, at the register would come to $13.23 and my father would hand a 20 and he said okay what's the change going to be and I, had, I would figure that out in my head and it's simple but there's times I can't do it it's like hitting a wall I've had to, in a lot of ways, kind of regroup so many times that, uh, having a, um, up to this point, having a, you know, where do I go from here? How do I get to the next step? Just never really materialized. And there were times, you know, once or twice, um, early in my life, in my career, that it became known, you know, that I had some mental health issues and, Nobody really ostracized me, but I figured at that point everything was everything was pretty well blown as far as me moving up the corporate ladder because it was almost like I felt like there was a lack of trust issue.
1: What do you mean by that? Why less trustworthy?
0: Well, like I couldn't handle work or something like that. They didn't think I could handle things. Um, but, but I want to clarify one thing, and this is a major issue with me and my depression, that when my depression is up my perception is very skewed. I may read into things that aren't even there, and that may or may not have even been there. But that's one of the things I have to tell myself. Wait, that person, do you know, are they upset with me? Are they? I've got to stop and regroup myself and kind of address it.
1: Right, we often talk about, you know, depression really can distort oh. how you take things in and how you see things in a very, very negative yeah. way.
0: I um, when I went to that, unit that I had told you about, there was a young man that was there.
1: This is the residential the unit? Residential you... unit, yeah. yeah. And
0: I was there for about a week, and he's been in and out of places for a long time. He's, you know, got a, some pretty heavy mental, some mental illnesses, but he's a great guy, just a great guy. And, um, but he told me, after I befriended him, and he told me towards, you know, right well when I was getting discharged, he said, you know, the first day there, you, you were in the other room, and you said, you said something like, what the hell's that thing? I thought you were talking about me, and I didn't like you. But as he said, he said, but that's me and that's my mental illness. I don't see things. I interpret things too close.
1: So you said when you were first diagnosed with depression, part of why that name was helpful is it helped you know your enemy and you really saw depression as this thing that you were studying and you were, you know, fighting against. And that was, you know, 20 years ago plus you still see it that way now
0: absolutely it's an evil dirty son of a if it can get a hold of me and wrench me down it will do it and it is my enemy and i will not let it overcome me i will fight it to my last breath i will help others fight it to their last breath with whatever it takes
1: you're very serious
0: Yep. It's like you have to know your enemy. How are you going to defeat it? Yeah. You know, but I also um, find out that I get strength from helping others, even in the littlest ways. When I worked at that front desk in the ER, I could go home knowing that I did a good job, that I helped somebody. I mean, It might have been something stupid like, you know, you'll laugh at me when I tell you this, but I would, might get like an elderly couple that would come in. And if the elderly man was the patient, let's say, and I, I would say, oh, you brought your granddaughter today, meaning his wife. And she would laugh. You know, something simple as that. That, to me, is, is powerful. It was one day I was working at the front desk. This young woman came in. She must have been in her mid-20s, and she was really sobbing. And said she needs to see somebody. She needed help. Uh, she wanted to be seen for crisis. I said, okay. So uh, I got her in to the registrar's office, and they registered her, and she was sitting down. And at that time, um, we I had gotten little stickers like mickey mouse stickers and that kind of those kind of things bugs bunny that we would give to children coming in just to kind of you know be friendly and so nobody was coming by the desk for a couple of minutes so i took one of the stickers and i walked over to her and i just said you know sometimes the light is brightest when somebody commits a random act of kindness for you and i gave it to her and she took it and she stood up and hugged me and started bawling and um, another two or three minutes went by, and she, they came and they took her out back. And the next day, when I came when I came into work, I had been told that she had called in and spoke to my supervisor, and said what a wonderful person I was and how that I understood. We also had talked a little bit, so I knew what she had been going through. It was a work-related issue, and uh, where she thought she was going to be losing her job. And I did at that point. I did share. Trust me, I know about depression and how it works in the workplace and everything. But I said, it's not a walk you have to do alone. It's somebody somewhere before you has gone through it, and I can tell you if you look to your left and you look to your right, you'll see other people walking too. You just don't know it. Uh, there was one thing I'll also say in regards to that. There used to be a chaplain. He's since passed on. But he used to have something called your, your, your goodwill bank so that when you did something nice like that, file it away in the back of your mind and then when you're going through a crappy piece of life when you're not feeling that great remember that moment withdraw that memory from your goodwill bank and i also practice that and that works
1: paying yourself dividends
0: many times over
1: lj thank you so much for being my guest on c space radio i really appreciate it
0: it's been my pleasure
1: I like to end every show with resources and that you know other people can follow up and look into. And I wondered if someone wants to learn more about visualization or if there's any other book about that or anything that you would recommend for someone who wanted to learn more about what you've been talking about, what would that be?
0: I can't recommend a specific book only because I didn't have one. I just had some really great people when I was inpatient and as an outpatient. Um, but my thing would be, I would call NAMI. I would check there.
1: Great. And NAMI is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and they run, they have chapters and groups really throughout the country. If you want to stay connected to these issues, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Safe Space Radio, and you can find us on the web at com where you can listen to all of our past shows, including the shows in this series on depression in the workplace. While you're there, please subscribe to our email to find out about each week's new show as soon as it's released. And please leave a comment. I'd love to hear from you. My thanks to Gabe Graben for producing the show and to Jim Russell for being our editorial advisor.